Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Is he totally paralyzed? Is he just lame in the legs? You know, what, what the degree of his difficulty? We don't really know. We know where he's, he's, he's living. We don't really have any background of him. We know that he's healed, but we don't really see much of a response from him other than he immediately got up and did what he was told to do. Uh, it, it's surprising how few the details are in the story, especially when compared to many of the other miracles we have in the book of Acts. Now, read on with me. We're, we're going to read the second miracle here, which is the rest of the chapter, uh, which is a little bit of a different miracle. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs, since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him and urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs and all the windows approached him. Or excuse me, all the, not windows. The widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and the widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon a leather tanner, which is where we find him in the next chapter with the story of Cornelius. Again, a, a simple miracle, and, and I don't mean that to lessen the, the power and the amazement of the miracle, but the story itself is, is simple. Uh, we, we are given more details here than we are in the previous miracle, but it, it's still somewhat of a, a simple story, and it What's interesting is it's a bit of a repeated story. You know, here at the end of chapter 9, we've switched gears. We've turned from Saul, who is, who is turned to Jesus through a miraculous vision on the road to Damascus. And we've got the background information of Saul there as it kind of looked forward to him leaving uh, Damascus, going back to Jerusalem, being accepted. We know that took several years for that story to take place if you piece the details together with other section. But we've kind of gone back to the, to the timeline here, and Peter's just kind of traveling around. Last time we saw Peter, he was in Samaria. He'd been brought down there to, its, to distribute spiritual gifts, and he seems to be traveling around the cities around Jerusalem, and he's doing miracles. Uh, and the miracles are, are not tiny miracles. I have myself never healed a man who's been paralyzed for eight years. So I, again, that my point is not to trivialize 
how great the miracle is. But it, as you're reading the New Testament from the first page of Matthew on, we've read a, quite a few paralyzed people being made well at this point. That, that's not an uncommon miracle. And we know that that miracle took place a lot more than we have described for us in Scripture because that was one of the miracles that Jesus was known for, was bringing the ability to move and walk back to those who were paralyzed. And while that is an amazing miracle, I, I would imagine if I'm a human living at that point, I'm even more amazed by the story of Tabitha, that here she was dead and she's alive again. That's not a person who can't walk suddenly walking. That's a person who is not living suddenly living. That, that, that's a much more miraculous and amazing event, at least in the way that we probably qualify things as people. They're amazing miracles. They, they're astonishing. But it is interesting as you read through them, it's almost as if they've become expected. I mean, God's working so powerfully at this point in the story. God has done so many miracles through Jesus at this point. We're familiar with the many miracles of Jesus, are we not? And not just Jesus. During the time of Jesus, were there other miracle workers? Yeah. He empowered the disciples. He empowered the 70 he sent out in his name. And they went about doing miracles. And now we come to the book of Acts, and we've got miracles taking place. Uh, all of these cities around Jerusalem, the church is spreading uh, the, the, the miracles are being done, and people are, are kind of just knowing that, that that's the way life is at this point. What's the point of these miracles? It's interesting to me, I, and, and I might be looking for connections that aren't there, that aren't intended. Uh, I'd, I get accused of that on occasion. But I want to show something to you that, that I find to be interesting. I, I think the purpose of these miracles is to set up the really amazing thing that's about to happen in chapter 10. And while we look at this and we compare what happens in chapter 9, where Peter is able to bring movement back to a lame man and life back to a, a dead woman, we compare that with the gospel going and being received by the Gentiles, we're probably going to go, the more amazing thing were the miracles in chapter 9. But I don't know that that's the intention. I think the intention is the more amazing thing is about to happen in chapter 10. Okay, and here, here's why I say that. You've got this progression of stories here, chapter 9 and chapter 10, where there shouldn't be a chapter break, but there is. So you've got uh, the lame man healed, you've got the dead girl raised, and you've got the faithful centurion who is, uh, we have a story about. And you compare that to the ministry of Jesus. If you'll look back with me in Luke chapter 5, 
Hold your place here in Acts chapter 9, and you go to Luke chapter 5. You've got a similar grouping of stories here. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17, and we won't read these stories here, but I at least want you to notice the, the connections. Here, Luke chapter 5, and you've got a story of a, of a young man who's paralyzed. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed, but he's brought to Jesus, and Jesus there is in confrontation with the Jews. Do the Jews like Jesus or dislike Jesus? And by Jews, I mean Jewish leaders. Do the leaders like Jesus or dislike Jesus? They don't like him. And yet the room where Jesus is preaching is crowded. It is overflowing with people, and Jesus is there preaching. But this paralyzed man needs to be in front of Jesus. And so his friends take him on his stretcher up the stairs, and they tear a hole in the roof, and they drop this man down, don't lower, lower him, it's probably a, a better image, lower him from the hole in the ceiling to the floor in front of Jesus, and Jesus heals a lame man. But on this occasion, what's really the lesson of the miracle? Is it the lame man or is it the lesson to the Jews that Jesus is greater than their tradition? Isn't that the greater lesson here? that he goes and he heals this lame man and he says this because they're complaining and they're arguing about Jesus even forgiving sin. And he says, you know what, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, he says to paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Doesn't that story sound similar? To what we read over in Acts chapter 9. We're going to skip the beginning of Luke chapter 7, which is where we encounter a centurion, but then look down in Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Luke chapter 7, verse 11, you've got the story of a, a widow's son who is raised from the dead. She's a widow. She's, he, this boy is the mother's only son. And so the Lord sees her, he has compassion on her, he says, don't weep. He tells the man to get up. The young man sat up, began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Very similar imagery there to Peter taking Tabitha and bringing her out in front of the people and presenting her back to the people. Okay? That same idea here of Tabitha being, being given back to the people who missed her and loved her and benefited from her. Right sandwiched between those two stories, you've got this story of a centurion. This part I do want to read. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and was about to die. When the centurion heard, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is, worthy, he is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. 
Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, which just understand how generous that was of that centurion to do that. He was honoring not just Jesus, but the tradition of the Jews. Were Jews allowed to enter the houses of, of Gentiles? No. So this centurion is keeping his uncleanliness away from the teacher, the miracle worker, which is a, a pretty impressive respect he's giving to the Jewish people. Okay, so please, uh, please don't come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, here's the part that I find amazing. Verse 9, Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. I think what Luke is doing, the writer of Acts and the writer of Luke, is he is taking a, a progression of stories that he has back in the book of Luke about Jesus and about the, the, the ability of Jesus to not just do miracles, but to confront the Jews and confront particularly the issue of were Gentiles clean or not. And he uses similar miracles that Peter was doing. Because I would imagine Peter did many, many, many miracles. And, and Luke chooses some here and there to include in the story. That what Luke is doing is he is building up for us an understanding of how we should under, uh, understand the relationship that was about to happen between Jews and Gentiles. Like back in the stories of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, he heals a lame man while confronting the Jews. He raises a dead boy and he, he exalts the faithfulness of the Gentiles. When you get to the book of Acts, a lame man is healed, a girl is raised from the dead, and then we confront a very righteous and wonderful Gentile. A Gentile that was known for his devotion, for his ability to honor the laws of the Jews, and he gave, gave many alms to the, to the purposes of the Jews. He's introducing the centurion for us. He's helping us see that this centurion is similar in nature to the same man that Jesus came across in his own ministry. And just like Jesus exclaimed the great faith of the centurion back in Luke, cha or Luke chapter 7, this is Luke's way of exclaiming the faithfulness of this man in Acts chapter 10. If I'm a Jew, and I'm reading this and hearing these stories, and I'm making these connections between what I know about the story of Jesus and now the story I'm learning of the early church, and I'm seeing that the Gentiles are, are not just being accepted because of a vision that Peter had, but that this is something that 
even Jesus set up in his own ministry. It allows me to let go of my prejudice and give preference to the wishes of my Savior. And I think that's a wonderful thing that Luke's doing for us. I also find it amazing when you look at the, the, the response that the people have but in both sets of stories. Luke chapter 5, the lame man, it says, they were all struck with astonishment and, glorif- and, and began glorifying God. Uh, you look down at the faithful centurion, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And then of the, the boy who was raised from the dead, fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God. The response to the great miracles of Jesus is to give praise to God. And I think you see the same thing, but in a slightly different wording in the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, instead of saying they glorified God, what it says is they turned to God. They turned to the Lord. When it came to the healing of Aeneas, they turned to the Lord. When Tabitha was raised from the dead, many believed in the Lord. And we know, or if you don't, you will know soon, with the story of the centurion, when he found out that the gospel was available to him, he didn't hesitate one minute. He turned to the Lord. Great stories, aren't they? Great stories of faith. Great stories to challenge the way we think. There's a couple of things I, I think we need to consider as we wrap up this evening. One is, there really is no challenge too big for God. How, particularly with the story of of Tabitha, did did you notice the chain of events that happened there in Acts 9? She dies. Okay, it says there, she became sick and died in verse 37. They prepared her for burial. They washed her and laid her out in the upper room. Then they heard Peter was nearby, and they went and got him. You notice how different that is than the story of Lazarus? They went to get Jesus before Lazarus died because once Lazarus was dead, what was their attitude? Nothing can be done anymore. They no longer believe that. They've seen too much. We don't know of another resurrection story between the the resurrection of Jesus and this story here in Acts chapter 9, but apparently the people had no problem believing Peter had the ability to bring Tabitha back from the dead. I I love that kind of faith. I love that that, that's the way these people respond. They don't doubt that Peter, because of the power that God has bestowed on him, had the ability to bring Tabitha back from the dead so that she could serve again because they knew there was no challenge too big for God. There's no work that shouldn't be repeated. And this is kind of a, a strange lesson to draw from this, but how many lame people have been healed at this point? I mean, we just keep on doing it. But I think that's kind of the point. Keep on doing it. Because God 
can continue to do the same things and bring the same blessings again and again and again. And God doesn't ever grow tired of doing big things for us. So why should we grow tired of seeing the big things that he does? It's pretty amazing to see how God will, will do those things. Also, we need to pray when we need big things. I, I find it interesting in this story, just like Jesus did in the raising of Lazarus, notice what Peter does. It says he sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. I, I don't know what the words of, those, of that prayer was. I, I don't know that it would be the same as what Jesus prayed at Lazarus. And God... I pray this for their benefit so that they will know you have sent me. That Peter sent everybody to the room. This is not a prayer for their benefit. I think this is probably a, a prayer for help. A prayer for God to do an amazing thing. But he prayed. He needed a big thing to happen, so he prayed. And what happened? A big thing. Because when we pray for big answers, we should expect big answers. And, and, and again, I, I, I'm guilty of praying bigger than my faith. But I shouldn't. The problem is not typically how big the prayer is, it's how little the faith is. That, that's generally my problem. It's not that God can't do more, it's that sometimes I fail to believe God will do more. But God is such a generous and awesome God who's willing to do big things for you and me. And just like he does for Peter here, I, 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 I've never attempted the whole pray over a dead body and see if they'll come back alive. I have a feeling that's not going to happen. Maybe that's just my faith. God, God has done amazing things in my life. He has provided for me in ways that I, I never even knew I needed. So obviously I didn't ask for it. But he knew I did. And he's provided and he's done big things for me. It is great to know we have a God who is continually generous no matter how big we ask because he's just that kind of God and lastly I think a good lesson to remember is that great work turns people to Jesus did you notice that in these stories and acts this great miracle takes place and it says all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord and you look down a little bit later with the story of Tabitha. It says many, uh, became, the story became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. We have a, a tendency to, to pray for things and keep them quiet. It's one reason I love that we have that prayer board out there because it, it's nice. Have you noticed how the right side of the board has started filling up a little bit? Do you, do you think that's by accident? You know, we'll, we'll probably do a good job of going to that board 
and looking at the things on the left side of the board, the, the request, and we'll read those and we'll say a prayer about some of those things and we'll, we'll do a good job of that. Let me ask, shouldn't we also be spending some time on the right side of the board saying thank you? Recognizing that God is busy, that God is providing, that God is doing great things, that God is comforting and that God is uh, healing and that God is doing the things that only he can do. We should be saying thank you for that. And not only that, let me take that the next step. We should be telling others about that. Because when we see God busy, it makes people want to be a part of that. Because when we see God do great things, it makes us trust in Jesus a little more. That's not true just of us. That's also true of the world around us. We need to be talking about God. Just, just this past week, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. Uh, he was telling me about his wife's migraines and some things that she was struggling with. And so I told him our migraine story with Tiffany suffering with migraines so bad and what a simple fix it was and that it really was providential because an, an incredible answer to prayers because we had prayed specifically again and again that we figure out the answer for it while we still lived in Memphis. And we prayed that before we went to Memphis. We prayed that while we lived in Memphis. Two weeks before we moved from Memphis, we found the answer. Two weeks. You, you can't tell me that wasn't God working all that out. God provided. Now, in my conversation with my friend... He said, yeah, yeah, we, we've seen God do, or we've seen some, some good things happen. And, you know, of course, we, 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 I don't know if we should be giving God the credit. I said, why not? Why wouldn't you give me? If a good thing has happened for you, of course you should give God the credit for that. God does great things. And we should be giving him the credit for it. I also told him, I said, hey, if we're wrong, I don't think God's going to be as upset about receiving credit for something he didn't do than he will about not receiving credit for something he did do. And who among us would ever argue that God isn't involved in every detail of our lives? So how would we argue that he didn't do something for us? He's a great God. He's a God who brings movement back to lame legs. He is a God who brings life back to the dead. He is a God who brings life back to us in resurrection. If we belong to him and if we're his children and we've been baptized into Christ, he can bring us alive again for eternity. And I encourage you, if you're not a child of God and you've not accepted that sort of promise and blessing, don't put that off. Ask questions. Dig deeper. Figure out what it is you need to do, what it is you need to understand, what it is you need to repent of, whatever it is, whatever is holding you back from belonging to Jesus, fix that. 
so that you can truly be what God intended for you to be. If you need the invitation to get your life right, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.